The Stanley Cup Final is set as the Lightning are looking to do something that hasn't been done in almost 40 years. I'll preview what should be an exciting final round versus the Avalanche. It's down to a best of three in the NBA Finals as Steph Curry's heroics in Game 4 delivers us a critical Game 5 tonight in San Francisco. Who will have the upper hand as the series gets into the deep end of the pool? The Yankees and Braves are flying. The Brewers, White Sox, and Dodgers are sliding. A thought on Rich Strike as the Triple Crown of Horse Racing is complete, as well as the Live Golf League's first event and more on Deshaun Watson. It's all coming up, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You could also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What? is happening my good people greetings how are you how's it going how's everybody doing out there what is the latest and greatest hope everybody's well feeling fantastic in excellent spirits another start to the work week is here we're approaching mid-june summer is officially one week away that's right a week from today we can usher in the summer season with open arms and quite a bit of sports talk to get to as you've come to the right place to consume it all as this is the j reels podcast with your host j reels for my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Sports is starting to slip through our fingertips here as we're getting close to the end of an NBA season. We have at least two games, hopefully three. Well, unless you're a Celtic fan, you just want to get these next two and ride off into the sunset. But NBA Finals, which will continue tonight... A Stanley Cup final as we now have the stage set for Denver between Tampa and the Colorado Avalanche. A lot of baseball to get to and that's of course going to be the prime focus pretty much in the weeks and months to come. NFL, you still don't have to worry about that for another couple of months. The Golf Live Series, I get it. You finally have a winner there in their first event over the weekend. I'll share my two cents about that. What's going on in horse racing? So I guess we did see Rich Strike's True Colors there on Saturday. So much to get into, including a programming note that I'll have at the end of the podcast that you won't want to miss. That's for this coming Thursday, so stay tuned for that. I get it that you want to get my Celtic take, and there's a lot to dive into there. But I'm going to lace up my skates to start and take a trip around the ice because the Stanley Cup Final will begin Wednesday night, as I mentioned, in Denver, Colorado, as the Avalanche, 
who've pretty much been on vacation, similar to the Lightning in the previous round when they had nine days between them sweeping the Panthers and starting off the Eastern Conference Final against the Rangers, but Colorado, which should be not only well-rested, but healthy as can be. You wonder about Nas Kadri after suffering that hit there in the previous series against Edmonton by Evander Kane. What his status will be for Game 1 still remains to be seen, as well as the goaltender, the number one starter in Darcy Kemper. They're going to need both of those guys to go up against a two-time defending Stanley Cup champ who are looking to do something that hasn't been done in almost 40 years. And what that, you may ask, is win three straight Stanley Cups. The potential of it happening over the last 40 years came across the sports landscape twice, and both by the same team. When you look at the 91-92 Penguins, when they beat the Minnesota North Stars at that time, and the Chicago Blackhawks, remember they lost that Game 7 in the conference semifinals to the Islanders, which thwarted their three-peat. And then fast forward to the 2015-2016 year, or I should say 2016-2017, to where the Penguins won back-to-back against San Jose and Nashville, and then they were upended in a conference semifinal by the Washington Capitals. So here it is. Tampa and how they got here, and the heart of a champion, their DNA, their makeup, anything and everything that you can imagine, what this team has had to go through here just to get to this point, especially after that seven-game series against the Maple Leafs when they were down 3-2 going back to Tampa. And, of course, they were able to pull that series out. We mentioned about what happened there against Florida, sweeping them. And then to go back to a Game 5 there on Thursday night where it was tooth and nail, the Rangers opened up the scoring in that Game 5, and you were wondering whether or not that the Rangers, and I even said it then, that if they were going to win this series, they would, of course, have to take care of home ice, But most importantly, to get that fifth game in their building because how I felt was that if they would have lost game five at the Garden to have to go to Tampa in an elimination game, which we've seen them done before against Pittsburgh in particular, and obviously against Carolina too, they were down 3-2, but they had the home game in game six. If there was one team that could do it, it was them. But against this Tampa team, knowing that you gave them life after game three, And now here it is, Game 5, as I mentioned, they did open the scoring, but they weren't able to extend the 1-0 lead where Mikhail Sergachev was able to get the equalizer. And then as the third period wore on, and you kind of wondered, as you got deep into that third period, you thought to yourself, well, if it goes into overtime, obviously it's a flip of a coin. You can't say which team has the advantage. Yes, the Rangers are at home. Yes, they have won overtime games in this postseason. In particular, that Game 7 against the Penguins that made them advance to the next round against the Hurricanes. But now, here it was, two minutes to go, and with the puck deep in the Rangers zone, Mikhail Sergachev, from the point, shoots a wrister, it deflects off Andre Palat, and into the net with 1.50 to go, and all of the air in Madison Square Garden just let out a big sigh, because at that point, they probably knew that the series was not going to come back to Madison Square Garden, which would have been tomorrow night. They added an empty netter, sending the series back to Tampa with a closeout game for the Lightning, and you knew they were probably salivating at that point, knowing that they could ice this series, move on to a cup final, and doubt all the naysayers, yours truly, 
and put themselves in a position, like I mentioned, to get themselves a third straight cup, which hasn't been done since the Islanders won four back in the early 80s. And then game six, the one guy that you did not see in last year's playoff run up until the cup final was their captain. The one guy that you knew who has been with this organization, it seems like forever, the one guy that you knew was lethal in the slot is that bonafide goal scorer that any team would just love to have, and especially with the leadership that he brings and the tenacity and, of course, the goal-scoring ability of a one Steven Stamkos. You saw that front and center, not only just in this series and especially in those final few games, but here in a Game 6 as he gets the first goal midway through the second period where the Rangers were able to tie it on a power play goal and you kind of thought at that point where the Rangers 5-on-5 they weren't able to dominate the play the way they were early on in the series because of course they had a 2-0 series lead they were leading 2-0 in Game 3 and I know that's going to keep everybody on the team, the coach the front office up all summer long knowing that they had the foot on this team's throat, but they weren't able to seal the deal in that game, and therefore it unraveled ever since. And then as you get into that third period, where the Lightning get that go-ahead goal by who else? Steven Stamkos on a two-on-one of all things, and it happened 21 seconds after the Rangers tied the game. So with about six in chains to go, the Rangers get that power play goal by Frank Vetrano, and I'm sure the Ranger fan was pumped up. I'm sure they were hoping to get that equalizer in regulation because the last thing you want to do is go into overtime on the road. And that's not to say, just like I mentioned a few minutes ago, it is a flip of a coin. The only advantage that a team has on home ice is to get that last shift change. But other than that, we all know it's the bounce of a puck. It's a player falling to the ice, which would open up some space. And that's all it's going to take for the margin of error to be so slim, especially when the stakes are so high in an elimination game that you just never know what could happen there in an extra frame or an extra overtime and who knows how deep in the night that a game like that could go to. But when Stamkos gets that goal, and I know it may have been a little bit controversial because it was a two-on-one Stamkos was able to get the shot off and Shosturkin had made the save but as the puck was coming out of the glove it was up in the air and as Stamkos with his momentum going toward the net looked like it may have bumped into the goaltender which influenced the puck going into the net and Shosturkin mildly protested and argued that fact but it was a goal I know that it looks like Stamkos may have redirected it or may have had Changed the trajectory of the puck as it slowly but surely crossed the goal line in midair. But that's one that you certainly cannot argue. The Lightning were able to get that goal. And that was just a killer, if you ask me, if you're the Rangers, a Ranger fan, etc. Because you waited all game to get that equalizer. Not necessarily all game because we know Stamkos got that goal there in the second period. But you waited for that goal and you got it. Six and a half minutes to go, and you're thinking and you're feeling as if now all the momentum's on your side, and we could see if we could get that next goal and bring this series back to New York for a Game 7. And as it was, Stamkos injected life into the building, to the rest of the team, and they were able to 
hang on the win, 2-1. to one. The Lightning move on yet again, 11 straight playoff series. Phenomenal job. What more can you say? I said this last June after they beat the Islanders in a seven-game series where I thought that they weren't going to make it back to the Cup, let alone win it. And now here they are. So they made me look stupid. Now granted, Toronto had an excellent shot to dispose them in round one. We know what happened there. And the Rangers. And I'll get to them in a minute because right now it is about Tampa. But the beat goes on with this team. As I mentioned about Stamkos, you know he's relishing the fact that he's been able to contribute throughout this postseason run. Obviously was not there for the first three rounds in the second cup run. Him being the captain and him doing more than yeoman's-like work to get his team to this point. And you're going to have a fascinating cup final here, to say the least, where you have not only a team that's well-rested and healthy, as I mentioned, but you're going up against a grizzled, veteran-laden, just top-flight, championship-worthy Tampa Bay Lightning team. And what more else can you add? There isn't any other superlatives or glowing things you can say about this team other than everything that I've mentioned. Not only just now, but even in these last couple of weeks here, I've been doing the podcast. As for the Rangers, they only score three goals in the final three games, which obviously is not going to cut it. We understand that Igor Shosturkin, he's going to be a guy that he's up for the MVP this year. So you would think that his whole future is ahead of him, and this was a great learning experience for him and for the entire team as well. Let's not forget that. But I don't want to hear from the Rangers fan to say, oh, it was a great year. Oh, it was a great run. Oh, we'll get him next year. All true and understood. But once again, you're up 2-0 in game three, up 2-0 in the series against the Lightning. And 2-1 into the third period. And from that point on, you didn't win a game. And in games four, five, and six after that, you only scored one goal in each game. And I understand I can't kill these guys because it's not as if I've watched every shift of this postseason. So I'm not going to puff my chest out and be ha, 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 the Rangers and kind of dance on their grave. But I get it that when you're looking at guys like Chris Kreider and Mika Zibanejad, and one thing that gets underrated about this Lightning team is that they win in so many different ways. Not to say that they can win a high-scoring type of game, but they could play a 5-4, 5-3, which in this day and age is more of a shootout type of hockey game, but then they could also clamp you down and win the way they have in these last three games against the Rangers. As evidenced by the way Kreider didn't get on the score sheet, Mika Zibanejad didn't get on the score sheet, I know Artemi Panarin got a power play goal, I believe it was, what, game four? But he was quiet in the final two games. And when you think about it, when you have Ryan Lindgren and Frank Vetrano on a power play as your only two goals in games five and six, yes, give credit to Tampa, but where were your stars when you absolutely needed them? That's also going to hurt you if you're a Ranger fan. And mind you, Kreider had an excellent postseason. Same for Mika Sabanajad. So I can't kill them all together. But you got to wonder where were they in these final three games of the series where they were pretty much non-factors. And then on top of all that, we talked about the young guys, even going back to the Pittsburgh series, the Capococos and the Alexis Lafreniers of the world. These are top picks 
a number two overall and a number one overall. And not to say that they had to carry the mail for this Ranger team, but you would have liked some contribution. And they did contribute in that Pittsburgh series and obviously in the Carolina series, but they, again, talk about nowhere to be found in this series. Those are two guys that will also look in the mirror and value this experience that they had, along with Shesterkin, to know that what it takes to win, and not only that, but knowing that they have to step their games up even higher because the competition, as you go deeper into the postseason, is a lot more intense. But the Rangers will be back. Their future is bright. I know a lot of people may even think to pick them as a cup finalist or even maybe winning the cup next year because they made it to this point. And you could arguably say that maybe they were here a year early. That people thought, all right, they were a playoff team. Maybe they'd win a round, be competitive in the second round, and then look at next year to maybe make it to a conference final or a Stanley Cup final. Well, now, to me, it's going to be Stanley Cup final or bust for this team. And granted that the window is just starting to crack open. So it's not as if you can look at this team as a veteran-laden team to think that, oh, they have three or four years here where they have to seize the moment and win a cup. That's not the case. Now, we understand personnel is going to come and go. You're not going to have the same faces year in and year out. But this Ranger team is built for at least the next five years. And if this is their first crack at it, knowing that they got to a conference final, I'm sure a Stanley Cup final is going to be in the not-too-distant future. So that's what we have there. And as far as the Cup final is concerned, right off the bat, you're going to have a team that is just dominated throughout this postseason. Now, mind you, they've played two games over the minimum where they swept the Nashville Predators in the first round. They had a hard-fought series against the Blues, although they were up 3-1 in the series, but the Blues came back big time on the Avalanche in Game 5 in their building, and then they had to get a late goal with four seconds to go to clinch the series. So those final two games were tough. And then they swept the Oilers. So this is a well-oiled machine that's coming into this Stanley Cup Final. A team that slayed some of their playoff demons from yesteryear, but now they have to seal the deal. And they have to seal the deal against a team that's going for their third straight. So when you have guys like Nathan McKinnon, Gabriel Landeskog, and even a guy like Kale McCarr, who's as good as Victor Hedman, obviously a lot younger, doesn't have the experience, is not as seasoned as Hedman, but you talk about matchups, and you talk about a lot of momentum, and granted that Tampa Bay has it, but Colorado has it as well. Now you may see Braden Point at some juncture of the series because it looked like he was on his way back to if there was possibly a seventh game that he may have suited up and played at Madison Square Garden. And now there is a possibility that he may play game one. If not, they may save him. I'm sure like a old-time heavyweight fight, I'm sure these two teams are going to feel each other out. Mind you, they only play twice a year, so I should have checked on the schedule as to when they played him last, but there's not a lot of familiarity with those two teams. So I would think maybe point sits out and maybe save him for game two. But the big advantage here when we look at some of the matchups is goaltending. And I get it that Darcy Kemper has been good, but he has been injured. But going up against 
Andre Vasilevsky, there is no match there. And Vasilevsky, he's going for immortality here by winning three straight cups. So we know that Tampa is going to have a big advantage in net. And especially if Kemper can't go, you're going to have the backup there, Pavel Francu. So we're going to have to wait and see what's going to happen there come 9 p.m. or I guess 8 p.m. game one there on Wednesday. But the one thing about the Avalanche, they can dethrone the champs because they're going to come at them fast and furious. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of that rust you're going to see in game one, I'm sure they're going to be pumped up, jacked up. Of course, it's game one of a cup final. They've been waiting for this moment. But Tampa's in a good groove here. And even though I'm sure that they're going to come in waves, the avalanche that is, but I would think that the Lightning, they're going to know pretty much how to slow that down and how to stop them, considering that they came out of the gate rather slow against the Rangers in the previous round. Now, they got over a huge hurdle, the Lightning, because I'm sure when it was halfway through that Second period in game three, if you're a fan in that building, you're probably thinking to yourself, oh, geez, can we possibly get swept here? And then from that point on, who did the sweeping? But I think with the long layoff, not a lot of moments where they have been battle-tested and the championship DNA by the Lightning, and especially what they went through in this previous series, I think it's going to be tough for the... Avalanche to overcome. I know they're going to have their moments. I wouldn't be surprised they come out of the gate and it's 3 nothing in the first period. But then I will not be surprised if Tampa wins game 1-3-1 with a late empty netter, a little bit of Stamkos, a little bit of Kucherov, obviously a little bit of Hedman, sprinkle him some Palat. Your guys like Alex Kalorn, Pat Maroon with some of the dirty work. And Tampa will have a 1-0 series lead and then you're going to think to yourself, oh boy, Now Colorado is going to be scrambling to try to get that second game before they go back to Tampa. I got lightning in six. I got to change my tune. Until I see them beat, I can't go against them. So yes, here I am jumping on the bandwagon, and I'm sure the one or two Tampa fans that are listening to this are probably saying, no, Jay Reels, get off it. We don't want you on this at all. If you haven't been on this gravy train, get off. And by any means, this is not a reverse jinx that I'm coming up with. So, Should be interesting. Game one Wednesday night. And your final schedule after game one will be Saturday night, game two. Then Monday night will be game three in Tampa. So a quick turnaround there. I don't know why they didn't want to play Friday night and then maybe give the extra day to go from Colorado to Tampa Monday That's a little strange, but all right, NHL wants to do it that way. And mind you, Game 7 of the NBA Final would be on Sunday night, so you know they're not going to put the game Wednesday-Sunday, too big of a layoff, and then obviously maybe they want to avoid the Wednesday-Friday-Sunday. They could have done Friday-Monday, but okay. And then after that, it's going to be every other day. So from Game 3 Monday to Game 4 Wednesday, Game 5 back in Colorado Friday, then Sunday back in Tampa, and then Tuesday the 28th back in Colorado. That will be your Stanley Cup final schedule here over the course of the next two weeks. All right, let's cut to it. From my skates to my high tops, and tonight is a game five. If game four was pivotal, and we'll get to that in a minute, what do you think tonight's going to be? And this has been a series where 
It's been thrilling. I know that game two, that second half got away from the Celtics, so it wasn't as compelling. And same for the game three as the Celtics were able to pull away. But game four was, I'm not going to say classic. It's classic from a Warriors standpoint. But it was an excellent game no matter how you slice it. No team led more than seven points until the latter part of the game where the Warriors were able to pull away and win by 10. And might as well just cut right to it. The Celtics, for whatever the reason, and this is going to be my theme here, as much as they've been able to get the game that they absolutely needed, whether that means Game 6 in Milwaukee, whether that means Game 5 and Game 7 in Miami, or even Game 4 for that matter, because they were down 2-1 if you remember, and then they won Game 1 to start the series, won Game 3, and now they're going to have to do it again here in a Game 5, which with the way the trends are looking, they possibly may come away with a victory. But going back to my original point, whenever they need to get that step-on-your-neck game, and they did it in the Brooklyn series, I understand that, but they were the Nets, and I've talked about it a zillion times. They weren't all together by the time the playoffs started from a psychological and maybe even a mental standpoint. But for them to get that 3-1 series lead, for them to be able to secure that game to the point where they could rest a little easy. And for whatever the reason, down the stretch of that game, it was all about hero ball. And I'll break it down in a moment. But they were not able to come up with the big play, a big shot that a championship medal team does. And we've seen what they've been able to do throughout the course of this postseason. So it's not unlikely that they would have a series lead where they could really put a stranglehold and put the Warriors to the brink where they would go ahead and try to win a championship tonight at the Chase Center, which would have been the case, but Game 4 was all about Steph Curry, his heroics, the monumental performance, 43 points, had 10 rebounds, not 10 assists, 10 rebounds, I believe he had 4 assists. Couple that with Andrew Wiggins with 16 boards, which were crucial, especially in that fourth quarter. Also added 17 points. Klay Thompson, who played very good defense on Jalen Brown. Even Steve Kerr had to bench Draymond Green, who was giving you nothing in Game 3 and Games 4. Putting in Kevon Looney. Now let's get to it. The final moments or the fourth quarter stretch here, which really turned the game on its ear where the Celtics were pretty much in control. I understand they withstood a little bit of a third quarter rush there by the Warriors and Curry making threes all over the place. But as you get into the fourth quarter and they had a 91-86 lead and even a 94-90 lead after a three-pointer by Marcus Smart. So now it's about 5.18 to go. And here's where the game turned around to where the Celtics, and a lot of these teams in the NBA do it. We get it because that's how the game is now when it comes to the three. Or shooting the three, I should say. But here's where the Celtics faltered and were unable to seal the deal. To where they just end up standing around, playing hot potato, not attacking the basket, not trying to draw a foul, not trying to get to the line. And understand you're stopping the clock there. But at 94-90... Jalen Brown misses a 13-foot fall away, followed that up by a missed three, 
Follow that by a Tatum mystery. Followed by a possession where Marcus Smart missed two three-pointers, where Jalen Brown got a rebound in between. Then Horford misses a three. And then by that point, when Curry makes a three-pointer, the Warriors went on a 10-0 run, and they made it 100-94. to And that was a case where the Celtics had no business and no idea how to close out a game, even when you got two guys in Tatum and Brown that could potentially close for you. Everything was, let's chuck up threes, let's play hero ball, let's try to not be creative, or let's not try to get to the hoop to maybe get a basket and an end one to get the crowd back on our side. And the moment seemed like it was too big for these guys because they did not deliver down the stretch. And funny enough, at 194, Horford makes that three from the corner, and you're thinking, all right, Celtics are back in it. They need to stop here. Crucial part of the game. And then what happens? At 197, Klay Thompson shoots a three. Draymond gets a rebound. And Kevon Looney has a putback layup, 102-97, with about 50 seconds to go. And as Warner Wolf used to say many, many moons ago, you could turn your sets off there. This game was about Curry's brilliance. And now all the talk is going to be if the Warriors lose... Can a player on a losing team win the MVP? I'm not going to think about that right now. We could talk about that once the series is over. Obviously, if they win, he's going to get it, which is pretty much going to be a legacy series for him, considering when they won the first go-around in 2015, he did not win the MVP. That was Andre Iguodala. Then when Kevin Durant came there, it was pretty much not necessarily his team, but he was a guy that carried his team with the two finals MVPs, and Curry was pretty much the tambourine man in the background and then now if he were to win this series he will have the MVP in tow and he could shut up everybody who thinks that he could not win an NBA final without Kevin Durant as a sidekick but there's still a lot of basketball to be played here but give it up to Curry I said this on my TikTok feed that he is a guy that I've never seen ever as long as I've watched basketball, to where I feel that every time he's going to shoot, it's going to go in. And mind you, he started 2 for 8 from 3 in the game. He ended up 7 for 14, so if you do the math, he was 5 for his last 6. That's all you need to know. And if you're going to shoot 50% from 3 in a game, he could shoot it from Back Bay or from the Charles River in Boston. And would you doubt that it's not going to go in? That's how... Effective, and that's how good he's been in this postseason. And in this series in particular. And for the Celtics, another opportunity wasted. Tatum had a good start to game four. Just fizzled down the stretch, as I said, hero ball. And I don't want to hear that he's hurt. The shoulder. Oh, he's still young. He's 24 years old. Yada, yada, yada. I don't want to hear that. Yeah, he may be 24, and he's still far from his prime. He still has a couple years to go, but he was... First team All-NBA this year. And if you're first team All-NBA, I'm sorry, you got to stand and deliver. And he hasn't done that. Now who knows, will tonight in San Francisco be his Game 6 a la Milwaukee series where he put up 46 points in an elimination game? He needs to have an effort similar to that in order for the Celtics to get back home, not only with a victory, but to close them out come Thursday night at the TD Garden. Rob Williams was effective, but did not play down the stretch. 
I'm sure the extra days off will help him because remember the turnaround from Wednesday to Friday, only 48 hours. Now he has a full 72. He'll also have a full 72 going into game six, so that will help him. Celtics are 7-0 after a loss. Same for Golden State as they're 6-0 after a loss. So if this goes according to plan, the Celtics win in seven, but we all know that's not going to happen. And as I mentioned in the last podcast, check the receipts. This trend is not going to continue. At some point, after a loss, the Celtics are going to lose a game. So it's easy to say, oh, they haven't lost two in a row this whole postseason, but <laughs> could this be the time that could happen? Why not? Absolutely. And would it be impossible that even if the Celtics win tonight, or even if they lose and win a game six, would it be impossible to win a game seven on the road? Absolutely not. Please, Toronto won three games and closed out the Oracle when they won their championship. So anything is possible. And with the Celtics, their road record is a hell of a lot better than their home record. I right, think about it. Their home record, what are they, six and five? And they're eight and three on the road. With their only losses being game one in Miami, of course, game two in Golden State, and then Milwaukee, game four. So it's almost as if the road is better suited for the Celtic team because their level of play goes up exponentially. Now, you would only think, even with what the Warriors experienced there in game four, but the Celtics have been battle-tested this postseason. And they have that, no pun intended, that road warrior mentality. I think they'll play better tonight. I wouldn't be surprised if they win tonight. Because that's how unpredictable and that's how the Celtics have been here in this postseason. Now the good thing is, and I'll talk more about it later on, Thursday on the next podcast, that'll be the night of game six. So we'll have a better feel as to what the storylines, the momentum, etc. will be going into that game, which will be a closeout game for either team. So it's going to be fascinating to see what's going to take place tonight, which will set us up for that game six in Boston. One other note, the Charlotte Hornets hired Kenny Atkinson, which was a very good hire, the former Brooklyn Net coach. I forgot what the terms in the years, but I'm sure he's going to really do wonders with Charlotte, with that team, the young team led by Lonzo Ball, Gordon Hayward, I don't know if he's going to come back. Obviously, he's on the contract, but with his health scenario, not playing that much this past year. But I think that could be a good fit for Atkinson and a good landing spot. So we'll see what that brings to him in that city come next NBA season. All right, now it's time to put on my cleats here. Baseball, as we're just about 60 games in for most teams, some just a little bit below that. But now... A hundred games are left for a lot of these teams in baseball. Just goes to show you how fast the season is flying. And what we have so far is we take a lay of the land here where the Yankees have the best record in the sport by far, 44-16, and although the Mets won yesterday, winning two out of three in Anaheim, so they're the second team to hit the 40-win mark. Dodgers, who had a rough weekend against the Giants, and I'll get to them in a bit. And the Astros as well. They lost two games to the Marlins in their building before salvaging the third game yesterday. But the Yankees and the Braves are the two teams that are flying. And I'll start with the Yankees, 44-16. and They've won 11 in the last 12. They embarrassed the Cubs over the weekend. 
I understand the Friday night game went, what, 12, 13 innings and they won 2-1, but 8 nothing and 6 home runs in the first game, or the middle game, I should say, and then yesterday, they pounded 18 runs on that Cub pitching staff and went away with the sweep. But now we could say it's time to clean up all the garbage. Say goodbye to the Cubs. Say goodbye to the Tigers that they swept the couple weeks before, or the weekend before. Say goodbye to the Twins, who I understand they've had a good year and they're in first place, but the Yankees always dominate the Twins. And even say goodbye to the Angels as they discarded them like trash about 10, 11 days ago. So now the Yankees are finally going to get some competition come their way. And I'm not here to say or to throw ice-cold water on them because give it up. Their pitching has been great. They've mashed the hell out of the ball. And they've done anything and everything that you could possibly imagine if you're a Yankee fan. Because I'm sure even the pie-in-the-sky, most optimistic Yankee fan, if I would have told you after 60 games you'd be 44-16, and you'd be like, I think you're smoking something, Jay Reels. But here they are. They've done well. Give them all the credit in the world. But now they're going to have a 13-game stretch to where they're going to play Tampa for three starting tomorrow. They're going to go to Toronto, to Tampa for three-game series, and then come home for a four-game set against the Astros. So over the course of these next 13 games, the competition will ratchet up a bit. And again, that's not to say the Yankees are going to wilt. That's not to say that the Yankees are going to falter here. That's not to say the Yankees are going to go 6-7 and seven or be under 500 or right at 500 a game above. You know what I'm saying. But again, throw the trash, the Cubs, the Angels, the Tigers, the Orioles, all those teams away. Now, we're going to get some healthy opponents here. And hopefully, the Yankees, they're either going to rise to the occasion and play the baseball that they have been over the course of pretty much the whole season? Or will they take a couple steps back here knowing that, uh, we could beat up on these bad teams when it comes to the top teams in the American League, they're just average. So that's one barometer to look at here as we take just a bit of a look with the Yankees here two weeks moving forward. The Braves, now they've gotten their season on track. They've won 11 in a row, 34-27, and I discussed this on Thursday, and I'll say it one more time. This was a 10-game stretch where they not only beat up on the Pirates, they're going to Washington, who had a pretty good weekend against the Brewers, winning two out of three, and then they go to the Cubs this weekend. They're going to be nip and tuck with the Mets all summer long. As I mentioned, starting July 11th, they have the first of 15 matchups and three series in Atlanta where they're going to be duking it out for the NL East. And I don't care if Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer walk through that door tomorrow. They do have a five-game lead in the division, but it's going to shrink fast. And granted, the Mets have a day off today, and the Brewers come to town starting tomorrow. And the Brewers, as I mentioned, had a lost weekend, and pretty much a lost week. They had lost eight in a row, including Josh Hader getting his inning streak snapped with all those appearances not giving up a run by the Phillies. And by them losing eight straight, they drop out of first place. Granted, they're a half game behind the Cardinals as of this morning. So they come in here a little bit wounded, but have a victory under their belt where they'll face Corbin Burns in the second game of the series, the Mets, that is. And with the Braves having that soft underbelly of their schedule, it's going to be interesting to see a week from now where the Mets and the Braves will be in the standings. And the Mets have the Marlins coming in this weekend for four starting Friday in a wraparound series. So, the Braves, 
we shall see how they're going to continue to perform. They're going to lose at some point. And granted, they got the Nationals and Cubs on the road, but you figure that they're going to win at least four of the next six. So they're going to be flying. So those are the two teams in baseball that are doing very well, even throwing the Phillies for that matter, which they won nine in a row, including that series in Milwaukee. But they got blown out by Arizona. And to think, they won nine in a row and made up no ground on Atlanta. If you could believe that. The Brewers, we touched on them, had a tough week losing eight in a row. We'll see what happens come this week against the Mets. And we talked about Hader giving up those home runs in the ninth inning, which was not only a shock that he gave up a run, but also lost the game in the process. The teams that are sliding, the Dodgers, who got swept by the Giants over the weekend and have now lost 9 of 13. They have Walker Bueller go on the aisle with a right forearm strain, so that's something you have to be concerned about if you're a Dodger fan. And the Dodgers have not played well here. They got swept by the Pirates before the Mets came to town. They lost to the White Sox 2 out of 3, and I'll get to them. There's That's one of my teams that have been skidding here. And funny enough, I'll get to them in a minute. And then getting swept by the Giants. So the Dodgers are limping here a little bit as they haven't been able to get themselves in a good groove here over the last few weeks. The other team that's been sliding have been the White Sox. I'll get to them right now. Why not? That the fans are actually calling for the head of Tony La Russa, the manager, because of what took place there on Wednesday against the Dodgers as they're going for a sweep. For whatever the reason... Tony La Russa decided to intentionally walk a batter. I believe it was Trey Turner to face Max Muncy with a one and two count. And you knew that was going to come back to bite him because what happened? Muncy took the reliever over the fence for a three-run homer and the Dodgers went ahead to salvage that three-game series. And since then, the White Sox have been rumbling, bumbling, and stumbling to the tune of a third-place record at 27 and 31. This is a team that, after last year winning a division, and okay, they didn't beat the Astros in a division series, but you felt that they were going to be a team and a force to be reckoned with, not only in the AL Central, but also in baseball. And here they are, although four in the loss, but six games behind the first place Twins. You got to wonder with Joe Girardi shown the exit, and with Joe Madden shown the exit, will Tony LaRusa survive the month of June? And with the way things are going, who knows? He may not even come close to doing that. So the White Sox have to answer to someone or something because they got to get their season turned around. Not to say right this very second, but we all know these streaks or losing two out of three, they could come fast and furious. And the next thing you know, six games out could be eight games out, then 10 games out, and then it's a lost season. So the Dodgers, Brewers, White Sox have been slipping here. And the Cardinals, as I mentioned, just a half game ahead in the division over the Brewers. So, Cardinals have been playing well, although they did lose yesterday. But pretty much throughout baseball, that's what you have. Unfortunately, there isn't much to talk about. I know the Red Sox have played well. you got to give them credit. And they put themselves back in the mix as far as the wild card goes. And everything else is pretty much status quo. But those are your main storylines as we get into the middle of June how the Yankees and Braves have played phenomenally. Dodgers, Brewers, and White Sox have slipped here a little bit. And Twins, they lost two out of three to the Yankees, understood, because as I mentioned, the Yankees always pound the Twins. But they were able to win two out of three. Couldn't get the sweep there yesterday against 
The Rays, so the Rays were able to salvage that game before they come to Yankee Stadium here on Tuesday night. So baseball, going to have a lot of time and a lot of talk, as I mentioned, with the Stanley Cup Finals beginning on Wednesday and the NBA Finals getting into the deep end of their series. Baseball is going to be a lot that we're going to discuss here, so I'll touch on that here, obviously, once both finals are completed and really go full in deep with the baseball season. All right, a couple of quickies to close this out. I know you had the first LIV Golf Series event where Charles Schwartzel won in London over the weekend. Now, mind you, it's only 54 holes. It's only three rounds, but he did win, and his purse for being first in that tournament, $4.7 million, which is almost double to what you could make at a major. Masters, U.S. Open, which is this Thursday, obviously the Open, a la the British, and of course the PGA. So this is why these players have jumped ship. Now, mind you, after my recording, word came down that the president of the PGA Tour has a ban or suspension on players who have jumped over to the Live Golf League where they cannot participate in any of the tour events. So that means you're not going to see Dustin Johnson, Phil Mickelson, or anybody else here for the U.S. Open come Thursday, which will be in Brookline, Mass. Pretty much right up on 95 Corridor. So they had to do that. Good for them. They didn't want to allow these players jumping ship. As we know, Bryson DeChambeau and Patrick Reed also did the same, so you're not going to see them as well. And who knows how long that suspension is going to be. I don't know if they're going to work out anything with that league. And again, it is a fledgling league. They're trying to bring as much talent over, and it's up to the player now that I'm sure they're second-guessing if they actually thought about crossing over to go to that league to make more money. Obviously, they're going to put that on hold because the PGA, obviously with the history And knowing that they want to play in a major to win as such, whether it's the U.S. Open this coming Thursday or the British next month. And that's a hit for golf. Absolutely. You still have a lot of good players on the tour. It's not as if you're lacking there. And I know there were comments there by Rory McIlroy. He took a snipe at Greg Norman as he won a golf tournament over this past weekend. His 21st title overall, which was one more than Greg Norman. And he says, ah, I got him in that department. So this was... Makes it a little bit sweeter. All right. Wants to throw a little barb at Norman, who is obviously the one of the pillars of this Live Golf Series. So, so be it. I know I'm not wrapped up in that. I only bring it up because it is the first tournament. If you want to put that as a trivia question, well, there's your answer. Charles Schwartzel is the guy who won the first tournament. And not only that, but also made $4.7 million in the process. So good for him. But knowing that he can't play in any of these PGA Tour events, if it's all about the money, if he feels like, ah, I don't care, I made almost $5 million, which is more than double than what I would have made at the U.S. Open or any of the other major tournaments, all right, you can live with that, Charles, that's on you, my guy, good for you, but knowing that he can't step foot in any of these other PGA events, I'm sure that's going to sting. It may not sting right the second, but as time goes on, I'm sure that's going to be an issue. I mean, there's no other way to cut it, so... That's what you have there with the golf, and I'll talk more about the U.S. Open on Thursday. With the horse racing, you had a 73-degree day, a little breezy, overcast, but not a bad day altogether. You had Mo Donegal win the Belmont Stakes. I talked about this a couple weeks back, that if Rich Strike, who did not run in the Preakness, 
withdrew because of whatever training and even though he was an 80 to 1 underdog and won the Kentucky Derby where they felt that no we're gonna not race him here but we'll have him ready for the Belmont Stakes obviously that was the first sign of mm, something fishy going on here because granted and give him credit for winning the Kentucky Derby but we knew that this horse was gonna be a flash in the pan he ended up being sixth in this race If he finished in the top three, we could say, oh, well, we'll never know, but he possibly could have won the Preakness or at least could have been a threat. But knowing that he ended up sixth, the true colors came out. You only had 46,000 at the Belmont where, let's say for argument's sake, even if he was embarrassed in the Preakness, all right, you probably would have had the same amount of people there. Maybe 50,000 could have cracked, but there was no juice for this race whatsoever. And I'm only going to give this another 15 seconds at best. But Rich Strike, alright, kudos to you for winning the Kentucky Derby and you'll be remembered as such. But knowing that you bowed out of the Preakness because of the training methods or whatever it is, but really, and how I'm going to look at it, was you didn't want to put your horse out there to be ridiculed by the racing community and pretty much the American public knowing that he probably would have ended up sixth or worse at the Preakness and who knows, could have ended up toward the bottom at the Belmont Stakes. So that's all I got there as we could put the triple crown of racing to bed. And then lastly, I was going to get to some NFL news and notes. I know I talked about Deshaun Watson a little bit the other day. I'm not going to go further into that. I did mention that the NFL, what are they waiting for as far as cracking down and handing a suspension to Deshaun Watson? Who knows if any other story is going to come out about this guy. They're probably still doing their investigation, which has been well over a year. It's an absolute joke that that's been the case, but all right. So be it. You're taking your time. We see you, Roger Goodell. You're going to pussyfoot through this whole thing and not show any integrity. You're not going to show any accountability. We can see right through you. So the song remains the same under your watch and how you handle these things. You're more concerned about, oh, where the Pro Bowl is going to be next year or uh, it's just a disgrace. Uh, I didn't want to talk any more about it. But you had the Broncos... Real quick, the Walton Penner family, the heir of Sam Walton, that's right, the guy for Walmart, in agreement to purchase the Broncos, could take 60 to 90 days to not only approve, but also finalize the deal. My thing is, with the new kid on the block, is he going to floss and show off his shiny new toy and not know a thing or try to throw his two cents or his fingerprints on something that he really knows nothing about or is he going to have that football personnel in tow to where he's going to stand in the background, he'll sign the checks, he'll approve the deals, but not go out there and try to make moves and be a latter-day Daniel Schneider to kind of say, I want this guy, I want that guy, I want a Pro Bowl roster and then, of course, the Broncos are going to be anything but a playoff team, let alone a Super Bowl team. So that's something you got to keep in mind, especially with these new wave owners to where they just want to rule the world and just show and flex that, hey, I got a football team and you don't. So that's something to keep in mind. And then lastly, Aaron Donald, not only does he become the highest paid non-quarterback in the history of the sport, but how in the hell is this capologist for the Rams, this guy is David Copperfield. Because when you already gave an extension to the quarterback in Matthew Stafford, you signed Bobby Wagner to a $50 million, potentially $60 million deal. 
I know Jalen Ramsey, I'm sure his guaranteed money is gone, but you know he's going to be up for a contract, but he got big money. There's so many other players. Allen Robinson, I understand it's small change for the Rams. Three years, $37 million, wide receiver. Odell Beckham Jr. is on the mend. Who knows if they're going to re-sign him. But they have all these scenarios where you bring in high-profile and high-priced players, even Cooper Cup. I didn't even mention him. Where I believe he got $80 million for the next three years. What is the salary cap in the NFL now? $500 million? Did I miss something? It's unbelievable how they've been able to manipulate the cap to the point where they probably don't even have a red cent to pretty much sign the seventh round pick that they drafted. And we know they don't have a lot of draft picks to begin with. They probably don't even have a seventh round pick, but you get my point. But they find a way. I want to know what their handbook is as far as how to work a cap when you have top flight, pro bowl, all NFL first team players on your roster. It's unbelievable. How they've been able to do this. And give it up to him, whomever that may be, the GM, of course, but you know there's somebody underneath him. Just a remarkable job to bring not only back a lot of these players, but also bring them back at high prices. And I don't know what to say. They've just done a phenomenal job to bring these guys back when you think that they probably have to look under their sofas or break open the piggy bank to pay these guys because how they've done it to this point and what they've done here this offseason is beyond me. So... All right, let's get to it. My hero and zero of the week. My hero of the week goes out to Romeo Cornell, the longtime defensive assistant going back to his days as a special teams coach with the Giants winning Super Bowls there. Of course, on the staff with Bill Belichick. Did coach in the NFL. A couple of stints there with Cleveland, KC, as well as an interim job with the Houston Texans. He goes off into the sunset. Coaching 50 years, 39 in the NFL. Well-respected around the league and an even better man for those who came across him. So, Romeo Cornell, you're my hero of the week. And my zero of the week goes to Washington Commanders defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio for his comments early in the week referring to the events of January 6th, calling the U.S. Capitol, the insurrection there, as a dust-up compared to the riots, looting, and burning during the protests in the summer of 2020, George Floyd, of course, the police brutality, etc., And all you got to know here is that since the firestorm of this news coming down to where I believe he was fined $100,000, but he has since deleted his Twitter account because of those comments. So Jack Dario, nothing more needs to be said. You are my zero of the week. As for my programming note, this Thursday, I'm going to be away. I'm going to bring my equipment. I plan on producing and hosting a podcast, and rightfully so. Game 6 of the NBA Finals is that night, and you know I have to throw in my two cents. Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Finals will already have been played. Whatever's going on in baseball, and the U.S. Open is going to kick off that day. So you know that I am going to have to talk about this, but I'm going to have to carry my equipment with me. I'm not going to tell you where I'm at. I'm going to be in a remote location, but I'll be sure to bring all of my equipment to you. I don't know what time this is going to get posted. I'm going to try to post this early in the morning, say by 10 a.m., but check my social media accounts, which I'll detail in a minute if you haven't followed me already, as to what time and when the podcast will be up for this Thursday. So I just wanted to put that out there. So as always, I appreciate your participation. I appreciate you stopping by to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review this podcast so we can increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. As I'm working fast and furious and hard behind the scenes to make sure I put forth a quality 
product as well as trying to gather some guests to get on the podcast hopefully as we get into next month and beyond if you want to hit me up on social media or to follow the whereabouts of podcasts information etc you could do so tiktok the j reels podcast instagram j reels or the j reels podcast twitter j reels one just a number facebook the j reels podcast fan page and the old-fashioned way the j reels podcast at gmail.com Questions, comments, criticism, praise, whatever it may be, send them my way. I'll be more than happy to follow up. And lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. That's P as in Paul, A T as in Tom, R E O N as in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth, I will humbly and gratefully appreciate your contribution. Down the road, once I get some traction with this platform, I'll put out some exclusive content just for the Patreon subscribers because whether you do or do not know, this is why I love to talk about people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA, sports is my life, it seems, because I'm just fully consumed so that I could share my passion, my fire, my fury on anything and everything that happens in the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it, from my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to Southeast to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.